This episode of the podcast was recorded over a Zoom call uh, at a time when physical distancing is important to us. Uh, so you will find that depending on the quality of the internet connection, uh, it can get choppy at times. Uh, but for the most part, you will be able to hear the conversation clearly. Hello, everyone, and. Uh, it is another episode of the Hello Mentor podcast. Uh, we have Amy Zhang with us today. Uh, Amy was born in the bustling city of Shanghai, grew up in Australia's cultural capital Melbourne, and has become an integrated resident of Kuala Lumpur uh, after living in the city for nearly 10 years. Uh, she first came to Kuala Lumpur to work with uh, Boston Consulting Group, and little did she know that she was going to meet her life partner and build her dream business here. Uh, having spent half of her career working for the public sector and NGOs and the other half as a corporate warrior, Amy felt that it was time to do something big and Amazing Grace was born. Uh, today, the company has grown to a home pantry brand across the region with a strong social mission to not only help people live healthier, but also give back to society by working with people from disadvantaged backgrounds. Amy's passionate about building a world-class consumer brand in Asia, helping people live healthier and meaningful lives, and building young women to become future leaders. And uh, yeah, let's start the conversation. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi, Derek. Hi. Uh, welcome, and uh, you know, thanks for agreeing to do this uh, podcast. I'm super excited. I love doing podcasts. Oh, great, great. And, and I think um, I think we kind of spoke before we started that you know you're also like you're a big fan of podcasts yourself, and you just you do listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, uh, I think listening to how I built this um, by Guy Raz was really inspirational. I think that's probably listening to that podcast was a big reason why I even wanted to go into entrepreneurship. So yeah, so it had huge influence on, on, on my personal life. Yeah. Mm, mm, I agree. And, and me personally, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I also, I would also say that it does influence, you know, a, a lot of things that I do. And, and, and it's also opportunity, I think for us to kind of dive deep a little bit onto like different subjects and all that, and kind of get to know you personally as well. Right. Um, and one, one of the first things, uh, that I noticed, you know, when we're kind of researching your background, right, Amy, was that uh, I understand you, you, you lived in Shanghai when you were a child and then you moved, right? You moved quite a bit. You moved from Australia, uh, then to the Netherlands and then to America when you did your master's. And, and I, I be, so I'm kind of curious, right? So in what ways do you believe like, living in these so many different countries have shaped your perspective, you know, of life and how your mindset generally is? Yeah, cool. I love I love how done you guys have done research and everything. <laughs> um, no, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and I think that information is is pretty public. And you know, if people mm. wanted to find this, it's always there. And I'm always surprised when people come to interviews with me; they know nothing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is all very public. Yeah. Um, I I think in light of what's happening at the end of 2020, um, is uh, the topic of identity politics. Mm as we, we probably have heard that those words thrown around. And I think having lived in so many uh, cultures and 
countries and maybe geographies has helped me to broaden my thinking about who I am, what's my identity. Mm. And, it, you know, especially if you're born in one place, if you've only been in one place and you grew up there and all your friends are like you, I don't think you think about it very much. Like mm. I think if you grew up in Malaysia, actually Malaysia, you think about identity a little bit more, but let's just say you grew up in like a countryside and mm. everybody was looked like you. You don't think, oh, who am I? And what, what's my culture and what's my story? Mm. Uh, at the age of seven, I think I uprooted, my family uprooted um, themselves from Shanghai and we moved to Melbourne, Australia. And I think that change was pretty drastic. Uh, from language, like I didn't know how to speak English at the mm. age of seven. There wasn't English classes <laughs> back in back in China in the eighties, and um, everything was different. Uh, where we lived, the environment, what people looked like, what they ate, um, and, and people made sure you felt different, right? People made sure that you they 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 looked at you differently. You're clearly not part of them, and so you really start to ask yourself questions like, "Who am I? Which group do I belong to?" And uh, in high school, I remember this distinctively. Um, Australia was pretty uh, white, you know, all the way until high school, and then there came an influx of Chinese people, and. <laughs> I think that's when Australia liberated the education sector and they started uh, they started understanding the power of foreign investment, especially by sending their kids to study in Australia. So it's not just, you know, Chinese people, it was Malaysians, it was Singaporeans, it was Indonesians, it was you know, a lot of a lot of Asian kids. Mm. And I remembered I was uh, quite an ordinary kid in high school and then suddenly there were these Chinese speaking people who behaved very differently. And I and I had to I mentally made a note, do I want to be like them or do I want to still hang out with my Greek, Italian, uh, Australian friends who, um, who behave differently? So, yeah, so, yeah, I think even just moving from Australia, uh, Melbourne, uh, sorry, uh, Shanghai to Melbourne was a huge confrontation on one sense of identity. Mm, mm, yeah, and, and I agree because I, I, I have some flashback of, uh, myself, right? Because I, well, I lived in Malaysia until I was 19. And then I moved to London for university. And I still remember, you're right in how, how it kind of uh, challenges your identity, how you think about yourself. And I remember I was in the dorm, like in the student dorm, and this, um, you know, this British guy just came over and he was being friendly. And he literally just out of the say, hey, like, what's your name, man? Like literally like a very harmless question like this. And me, for some reason, growing out in an Asian country where I suppose strangers tend not to talk to each other, my initial response, my instinct was like, oh, why, why are you asking me this question? <laughs> Literally, that was what you I asked. You want my money? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I could remember it so well because I could see the shock on his face. Like he was completely, you know, like, hey, he's probably thinking, who's this unfriendly Asian dude, like I'm just being nice. And, and, and that sort of challenge, I suppose, made me realize that, oh, the world is really big, right? And like the different cultures and people see it very differently. And maybe how I think of things is not the right way, right? Or, or not, not the only way, maybe not to say another, but not the only way, right? So, um, and, and so, so when you went, so when you moved to Australia and then, and then to Netherlands and America, right? So which was like, out of these like various different countries, which, which one do you think, um, stuck to you the most in terms of how it influenced your personality? 
Um, I definitely give credit for Europe and US. So when I went to the Netherlands, um, and by that time, I was already fairly strong in my Asian Australian identity. Like I had all my friends were Asian. We all had the same dreams and hopes. And it's very typical. You could guess what, what do you think everyone wanted to be as an Asian Australian? Uh, well, is it a, a, a doctor? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. You've got one of the professions, right? There's several. Right. You know? right. Accountant. Probably. Yes. Yes, yes, right. Yes. I know a lot of Asian accountants in Australia. Um, exactly. Uh, is it an engineer? Is that the third one? Um, probably law. Law, yeah. right? Law. Yeah, right, yeah. Right, law right. was pretty hot. I mean, I think I think uh, IT wasn't high on the Chinese radar. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, they lost. I think they lost right. out. <laughs> if only they knew. <laughs> what would happen? Oh yeah, yeah. Everyone. Then all the Chinese would be like doing IT right now. And start coding. Start coding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. Right. The Indians. The Indians had a had a had a one step advantage. Yeah, um, that's right. To us. Um, so I think Europe uh, really challenged my sense of identity because none of my friends were Asian. I had zero Asian friends at that point, and I remember mm. living in dorm. Um, first of all, it was dirty. So that again was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is so dirty. Uh, but at the same time, people were from all parts of Europe. You've had a lot of um, North Americans. Um, and, and, and suddenly it was this like UN, you know, this United Nations of different cultures and kids that behave super differently. Um, and so it really challenged the way I thought about what it means to be Australian, what it means to be Asian. Um, mm. and, and, and I kind of just threw all of that out of the window. I was like, okay, well, if I could start again, who, who am I? Mm. Um, you know, and, and I, didn't, I didn't need to eat Chinese food. I didn't need to behave with Confucius, Confucius values. I was independent. I didn't have a curfew. I didn't have anyone telling me who I, what I should be and who I should be, mm. right? And I remember always growing up as an Asian girl being told that I need to be quiet. I need to be, I need to look a certain way to be attractive and I'm to speak in a certain way. Like, you know, you need to be meek. Mm. You need to be quiet. You need to be very, um, you know, just, just gentle. <laughs> and mm. I don't, you probably know me a little bit by now. I am not gentle. No. <laughs> <laughs> I am confrontational. I am loud. I'm energetic. I'm, you know, my bone structure is not like, you know, a stick thing. So mm. I kind of couldn't fit in with all the girls who, who look like sticks. Mm. And um, so, so that was really cool to, to, mm. to be affirmed in who I am while stepping out of the Asian culture. And mm. so everyone's like, you're fine. <laughs> mm, mm, you're mm. okay. And mm. then I think um, the US, and I don't know if you've experienced um, living with Americans or hanging out with them, but mm. they have this like ultra individualistic, like I can change the world mentality. Mm. Mm. And you've got to give it to them. You've got to say, actually, that's pretty, uh, uh, um, that's pretty arrogant, but... <laughs> It's kind of cool to, to yeah. see some people have that and, and they kind of rub off on you. So, you know, I remember going to the Kennedy School and the motto of the school was um, be the change you want to see or ask what not what the country can do for you, but what, the, what you can do for the country. Mm. Um, and you can be the leader. You can mm. change everything. So you really um, studied change makers, community organizers, revolutionaries, uh, and, and, and so it kind of rubs off on you. You're just like, yes, 
yes, I can, I can be the change maker. Mm. Little, little did you know that when you graduated, it was a financial crisis. Right. And, <laughs> and you're like, no, I can't even, I, I can't even get a job. <laughs> right, right. Uh, oh yeah, and, and you graduated with uh, law and economics, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, so that's so interesting. And, and was, was there any particular reason why you picked these two uh, to kind of, uh, you know, do a degree on? Yeah, I think one is a strong sense of social justice. I, I, I think uh, I grew up with a sense of, of um, wanting to do the right thing or having values for protecting um, people who are, uh, who are being discriminated against. I felt like I was discriminated against as a minority growing up in Australia as well. And mm. so um, it's always in the back of my mind to, 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 to defend the rights of minorities, whether it's being a woman, being an Asian minority, um, being different, right? Um, and, and I think law felt like a, 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 a path that allowed you to do that. Um, mm. I eventually did corporate law, so that had nothing to do uh, <laughs> with any people's rights. You know, was it money or was right. it rights? Um, <laughs> and, and, and really the other reason I think, which is um, not, I'm not very proud to say is because I had, I made the scores, right? I, I, I studied really hard and I made the scores that made me eligible to get into one of the hardest courses in university. Mm. And so it was driven by ego. It was driven by a lack of vision for my own life. And, mm. and then parents are just like, I don't know. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and I think, and I can, I can see what the challenge is, right? I suppose like if you qualified for something that was like, like really scarce, Right, as in, like, it's so limited. Only you know, only the best can take this spot. It, not many people would give it up, right? Especially at a time where you probably don't even know what you're gonna do with your life. So, yes. right? So you probably just let's just do it now because I can, because yes. I qualify to do it. Uh, Absolutely, and I think it's lack of mentorship in Asian kids' lives. Mm. Um, mm. I, I I can't speak for other kids, but mm. I do think growing up with eight Chinese parents. Um, because they went through so much themselves. Mm, mm. They, don't, they didn't know how to guide you. And, and, you know, I would tell my kids, I don't have any, but if I, had it, uh, if I had kids, I would tell them, you know, you can chill out a bit, you can try different things, study a general arts degree, go and be an apprenticeship somewhere. You don't need to figure it out. There mm. isn't any pressure to, to mm. know what you want to do until you grow up. Mm. Um, so I, I do think it's, it's, it's really a generational um, issue that probably people like us grew up with. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I don't know if your parents offered you great advice. Uh, well, yes and no. Uh, for, Asian, for an Asian family, I, I suppose they're considered quite liberal. But yeah. I suppose, um, uh, but still, you know, there are expectations. You know, they obviously want me to do well. Uh, you know, there are... Uh, I mean, I studied accounting, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it, I'm sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, 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 and they didn't pressure me in any way. It's more of a case of, you know, I'm about to go to university and then like, I'm not sure what to do. So, you know, I just have a casual chat with my parents and they said, well, you know, you've got relatives who are doing well as an accountant financially. Maybe <laughs> you should do that, right? Since you're not sure, which like, okay, I guess. And literally like the decision was just, you know, like, like this, right? So it does influence you in some way. Obviously, I'm not an accountant now. 
but um, yeah, Thank so and, and, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I did accounting for a very short while after I graduated. And I have to say, I'm not the best accountant. Most people find it very funny when I told them that I'm not very, I'm not a very number driven person. I mean, I'm a very logical person, but for some reason, I don't connect with numbers very deeply. Um, so I, I, I would be a horrible accountant. And, 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 back, and back to your, I suppose, um, you, when you graduated with this law and economics degree, and it was during this global financial crisis, right, like you mentioned. So um, what, what, um, you know, what happened then? Like, how, how did your career evolve at that point? How did it start, maybe, not, not evolve? Yeah, so funny you say that because you're, you're, you're a platform for, for employees and um, mm. people to find jobs, right? Yeah. I remember how devastated I was to be, mm. to be unemployed. Mm. Um, I studied a public, uh, so uh, actually, good point. Actually, so sorry, backtrack a little bit. After mm. law and economics, I was still in the Netherlands. Mm. I remembered uh, in my peer group, we all got offers to join corporate law firms in Hong Kong and Australia and mostly Hong Kong because taxes were low and salary was high. Mm. And um, it felt really sexy by back then. Oh, you get to work in Hong Kong in one of these law mm. firms. Mm. Um, and I remembered going, well, I had one of these offers, but at the same time I was still in Europe. So I was feeling young and free and liberal. I mm. uh, ended up uh, working at a local university in the Netherlands, teaching people how to um, do public speaking, debating, presenting, um, so that they can go into competitions in, um, you know, in, in United model United Nations. Mm. I, I remember like growing up, I loved public speaking. I loved debating. I loved mooting. Mooting is debating in law. Mm. Uh, I was very combative and competitive. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> I was like, yeah. So, so that was a job that I thought was really fun. I thought I was going to do it as my, you know, kind of gap year before joining the workforce. Right. Um, but little did I know I was really happy doing what I was doing. I was really influenced by um, the people I was working with and how inspirational they are. And I remember one of these guys um, was going to go to the Kennedy School at Harvard. Um, and I was asking him about that. I was like, why are you going? What do you learn there? Um, and he's like, I want to make a change. I want to, I want to change our society. I want to change um, the world. And so I've got to go to the Kennedy School. And so actually I followed suit. Um, I, I applied um, and ended up rejecting my corporate law um, offer. I ended up uh, going to India to volunteer for a year for an NGO there. Um, wow. and, and the NGO was doing criminal justice. And the criminal justice we were doing was um, anti-human trafficking and uh, anti-slavery. Mm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so, 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 you know, linking that up with my sense of justice as a kid, as a minority, I felt really connected with a, with a role that allowed me to help others mm. and be able to use my legal skills um, to work with Indian lawyers, investigators, social workers um, to make a change. Um, so yes, yeah, so I volunteered for nine months. I also um, went around and collected money from friends and family to, to sponsor me. You know, so on the one hand, I was like, I turned down this 
um, super high paying corporate law firm job in Hong Kong when all my friends went and established their career as high flying lawyers mm. who can then buy property in Hong Kong. We all know how ridiculously expensive that is. Mm. And, mm. and then it's me going, okay, well, I'm just, can you give me some money? And can I, because I'm going to go and go to this, you know, um, South India and volunteer to, to do anti-human wow. trafficking work. So I don't know what happened. I think I just, it's something really, you know, something really crazy happens um, when you're young and idealistic. And I say, it, but I probably am still idealistic, no longer young. And you, you end up making some crazy decisions. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm surprised, like, didn't that sort of ring some kind of alarm bells for your family? Like, what? You're, you're not taking up this job in Hong Kong. You're, you're going on what, volunteer work in, in India for a year. Uh, I, I imagine most families will react in this way. Yeah, I, I think this is one in many series of alarms that generally happen <laughs> <laughs> over the next few, you know, 10 years of, of their daughter's life. Um, so I think they're kind of used to it. <laughs> right. I, I, what I noticed, right, Amy, was a lot of the people that start their own businesses and companies, and, 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 and I can tell from this, you know, this story is that uh, you have this sense of... Um, uh, you know, not uh, understanding that you don't have to follow the rules or the steps necessarily, you know, like it, it's an open, uh, you know, it's an open, I don't know what's the right word, but it's an open field, if you like, like you can choose a different path and still somehow succeed and get there. And I, th I think it takes a little bit of, um, I suppose ad being an adventurous kind of personality is one thing, a little bit of ignorance, to some extent, I, <laughs> I use the word ignorance, right? Because sometimes people will say, hey, you're so you're so brave to start your own company. And I'll tell them, well, I'm not sure if it's brave. I, I probably underestimated how hard it was, but I jumped in anyway. And then when you jump in, you kind of figure it out because you're forced to figure it out, right? Um, and, and I imagine that might be, I suppose when you started doing that, there was, there was no clear path, you know, when you decide to go volunteer in India, there was never, there's not going to be a clear path for you as to your career, but you did it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, and, and they say if you knew how hard it is to run your business, you would never do it. Yeah. <laughs> in the beginning, in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, and every step you take makes makes the next step a little bit easier to go towards, but you stop thinking about ten steps forward because if you think about that, <laughs> that's, that's right. Harder. That's right. Um, yeah. It's a certain personality, isn't it? Uh, I, I, I think one thing maybe to reflect on that experience is to say, um, maybe I felt like it was a very value-based uh, judgment or value-led decision-making as opposed mm. to a practical or pragmatic uh, mm. decision-making, right? Mm. That one values maybe uh, safety of outcome and say and, and and maybe prestige in and, and I think that's a huge thing in everyone's lives is like how will people perceive me how will people how are my parents and my parents friends and my friends and you know if I'm not um, high flying like everyone else am I you know is that okay and, and often I think you know what's really um, not maybe a little sad as well maybe I think it's easier on girls Mm. to to make those um, obviously you've made these decisions to yourself but I just wonder if if, if if being a girl sometimes lessens the society's expectation on you oh, that's interesting <laughs> you might be the first time I've heard this <laughs> and, 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 and are you saying this in the context of 
like guys are expected to, you know, like be really successful and therefore they always think in a very narrow pathway in order to try to be successful. Is that, are you referring to this? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think guys maybe like, oh, you need to be the provider. You need to be financially successful. And I think maybe girls don't have as much pressure. Like no one's really told me I need to be a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> and, and therefore you have more, uh, a bit more extra space to take some risk. Right? Yeah, I, right. I think so. Maybe I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um, and uh, is it exactly the first time I've heard this? And I think I wonder if it's it's probably true to some people, right? To some extent, especially I think if you're a very artistic personality, uh, I suppose like you do find again. Maybe I'm not. I don't have any data to look at, but I don't know if like most of the people in the artistic fields in Malaysia maybe might be girls I'm not sure actually you be. just have to look at NGO gender mm. in, in NGOs or, or not as high high paid jobs but has more social impact mm. like maybe education maybe mm. it's the medical the nursing um, mm. uh, industry maybe it's the yeah it's it's these industries where I think the the financial pay is not as high but mm. the social payoff is very high mm, mm, mm. and you often yeah. find in those industries there's more women yeah yeah oh that's interesting and and um and how long were you doing uh how long were you practicing i suppose your legal skills and and and, and what did what did it um what happened after that like when do you stop being doing law and then what did you do after law yeah so i was in india for nine months um, and after that, uh, I, I left because I was studying my master's at the Kennedy School. So actually, India was before I went to the Kennedy School. Mm. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I actually squeezed another half a year of other kind of volunteering in addition to that. So I spent three months in Bangladesh. Uh, hardest volunteering experience in my life. Mm. Uh, if you think India is hard to handle, try go to Bangladesh and it'll make mm. India look like paradise. Right. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then I spent three months back in Australia working with the Salvation Army uh, on uh, with people who are long-term unemployed, right? So these are, again, mostly men who uh, just for decades couldn't find jobs. Wow. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so the Australian government being a very, uh, you know, equal society uh, with a lot of social benefits ended up, you know, putting a lot of resources to work with these people. And these people were never forced to find a job. These people just had care. Like I was just there to like talk to them, upskill them, help with it, with them interview skills. Um, so I did a lot of these, you know, different volunteering or, or social stints. Um, before going to do my master's in public policy um, mm. in Boston. Mm, mm. And, and America was a whole new experience. It, it was the year in 2008 when mm. Obama was elected. So it's oh, super wow. long ago. Yeah, I remember how excited um, people were 
You know, mm. first of all, I went to a democratic school, so it's called the Kennedy mm. School. So if you are mm. a Repub Republican, good luck. I think <laughs> there were three Republicans in a school wow. of like 800 people. It was not bipartisan. I actually didn't realize it was like this in America. Literally, you have schools and like most of the people who attend the school are, are Democrats. Yes, like, yes. Like, like they, they publicly identify as Democrats. Yes, and your lecturers were all um, different um, staff members in different administrations, and they all identify as say if if they teach at the Kennedy School, they're probably Democrats. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm, so I had mm. my some of my lecturers were Nick Burns. I don't know mm. if you, he's now been he's like this like foreign relations guy who's worked in um, the foreign relations committee and now is you know, looking to be a new member of Biden's new administration. Um, my, some of my lectures was Samantha Powell, uh, mm. who during Obama's period was like the UN ambassador and she's also being nominated in, in, as part of the new, or considered to be part of the new administration. So it is very pol political. It's very wow. political. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I say, well, because it's like, like the, the politics there sounds like it's literally in education, right? Absolutely, uh, <laughs> absolutely. Might be why it's so divided there, and I'm not sure. Anyway, I, I digress a little bit. Um, uh, and 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 so okay, so you to so you studied in the, the Kennedy School, and I know after you you completed your masters, what 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 did you do then? Yeah, so that was 2010, uh, global financial crisis. Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, all these guys went down. Uh, and I remember I was trying to apply for jobs in the US because um, I was there anyway. I thought it'd be quite cool to work there for a while. Uh, and yeah, I think they, all the job opportunities kind of shut down. Uh, it was really hard to work as a non-American in American um, uh, institutions. So mm. I remember I was trying to apply as a criminal justice reform person uh, in in one of the you know one of the states in the U.S. one of the most criminally most uh, horrendous places in the U.S. is like crimes every day you know like mm -hmm. <laughs> it was like shootings and crimes every day and wow. it was just really hard because you're not you're not raised and you're not American and they're mm -hmm. quite patriotic with that mm -hmm. uh, so the only other solutions I had was to work for um, these global institutions like the World Bank mm -hmm. um, and I remember just uh, and I'll, I'll, I, I, I think this is an open secret, but the World Bank is what can be a soul crashing place. And it starts from the time when you're trying to get into the World Bank. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is very open that you don't bother with applications. Okay. Right? Don't bother um, because there are so many applications and no one's looking, really looking at them. So your, your, your CV's got to be missed. Mm. Um, so you get a job by having lots of coffee with people who already work in the World Bank just to be updated on the latest projects that they're working on. And maybe your skill sets and the project has an alignment and you try to get in on that. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that wow. soul crushing? Wow. <laughs> so it's, it's sort of like you have to aggressively network with people who already work in, work yes. in the World Bank, right? For yes. them to refer you if there, yes. if there was a for your wow. Exactly. Exactly. 
Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I tried to do that like everybody else. I, I, you know, I, I, I really didn't enjoy it, but mm. I ended up doing like, I, I did get on a project. Um, it, it felt ridiculous. It really wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, mm. And I decided to leave. I was like, okay, well, you know, if this is not the right time to, to find something that uh, stays with me or, or, it, or I can connect with, I should probably give up. Mm. Uh, so at this point, I was looking for jobs around different parts of the world, you know, hey, the world's your oyster. Mm. Um, and I started, one thing I was interested in was management consulting. Mm. So uh, it sounds like and at this point, I was, I volunteered a lot. I did all these social work. I did, I did my master's. But one thing I didn't have was business skills. Right. Uh, and I felt like, well, what if one day I I want to start my own business, and or one day I decided corporate was really my thing. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I should probably, you know, just in case, uh, build some business skills. Mm. And uh, so, you know, I didn't want to do corporate, corporate. Uh, I just thought mm, consulting sounded fun. You get to work with different industries. And these consulting firms often worked with public sectors. And that right. was what I was really interested in. Mm. Right? I wanted to go in um, to these consulting firms to work for the public sector. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, yep. And, 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 um, and I'm really curious. So, so what was... Uh, so being someone from like a legal background, right? How did, um, is it very common for someone to then transition into management consulting? And um, what was it, uh, I mean, what was the transition? Like how, how different was being a management consultant different from, you know, doing law? Yeah, I, I think it, it's not common. Like at least when I was doing law, I've never heard about management consulting. Mm. You know, everyone was gunning to become uh, article clerks, which is the, an apprenticeship before you become a lawyer. And then everyone wanted to get into corporate law. I mean, it's so stupid. Like you, you, you had such ideals growing up and then, you know, 80 to 90% of your peers just become corporate lawyers who's really not advancing <laughs> anyone's public interest, you know? <laughs> Probably and, some are going against public interest. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely going against yeah. public interest. You know? So anyway, I, 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 I really take issue with our education system. And, <laughs> and yeah, so it really, I didn't know about it. I think it was only when I was at the Kennedy School, I met a a, a, a fair bit of consultants mm. uh, I, I was like oh this this job exists mm. and um, I think the consulting firms were also quite interested to recruit from Ivy Leagues or people mm. with um, public policy degrees for their public sector work mm. and and there were particular offices that was really um, that did a lot more of that so I think the the big consulting firms like McKinsey and BCG and Bain, they tended to do a lot of that. Mm. And um, so I was just interviewing and uh, lo and behold, uh, Malaysia came up as, mm. <laughs> as a big, um, big sector of consulting firms who worked with the public sector. And mm. I don't know if, if any alarm bells are ringing in your head at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I find it well, um, su uh, well surprising in some sense. I did not expect like that, you know, um, that yeah, Malaysia would be the place where, you know, there'd be a lot of like public kind of work going on. <laughs> but but was that how you ended up in Malaysia? That's correct. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. 
So I ended up um, uh, with uh, a BCG, Boston Consulting mm. Group. Uh, mm. I thought their reputation was awesome. Um, mm. The people sounded great. And mm. I, I felt really confident that they were going to be able to teach me um, some really good stuff. Um, mm. And they had a big public sector work. And I was so naive back then. And I was like, oh, Malaysia government um, must be awesome. To, to, to work with them and, and change the public sector and you know, but, hey, but you know, it's, it's cool. It's cool. You know, you, you, you learn and you, 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 you enter these new segments of your life um, without a huge judgment. Mm, um, mm, and, and, mm. and I think you end up better for it. You know, it's, mm. if I knew what Malaysia public sector was like, I may not have done it. I never, would have never come to Malaysia. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and I think um, it must have been so eye-opening for you. And, and, and I'm not saying this in terms of like, um, uh, I suppose not really criticizing like the public sector, the government, but I suppose countries are different. Every country has their own challenges, their own personality. And being uh, someone that, you know, you've worked in the US, you worked around the world, and then, and then, and you were offered like a job in Hong Kong. And then just, it sounds, some of you so random that, it was Malaysia that you ended up <laughs> joining a management consulting firm, which yeah. I imagine like in your entire career, you would not have thought, I want to go work in Malaysia one day. Never, uh, <laughs> never. So remember how I told you that was one of many shocks to my parents? Um, it continued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, like, yeah, like you're like top top school in the US and then like, hey, how, like, why are you working in Malaysia? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and just a bit of background, I actually had an offer as a foreign, to, to enter the foreign service in Australia. Mm. Um, so concurrently, I was deciding between become a foreign service officer uh, mm. for the Australian government. Um, mm. And I had another offer uh, in, in London for, mm. for consulting as well. So mm. I picked Malaysia. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, I, I suppose it's a good thing you're here, and therefore now you've you've started uh, amazing grace, right? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And it's and and it was immediately after you left BCG that you started this. Yes, exactly. So right. I spent four long years at, at BCG, which felt like eight years. Um, mm. because you, you know, as consultants, you, you, you probably ha have some friends who've done this, you I work have, yeah. crazy mm. hours, mm. um, you travel like crazy. Um, it all seemed very glamorous at first until you're like, man, I am, I, it, it is sucking my life. Um, mm. and, and mm. you, you, you are giving as much as what they're giving you. And, and I think mm. that's something that people need to know. And I, and I think that lesson stayed with me even till Amazing Grace, which is, uh, I generally think your employees give more to the company than what the company can ever give to the employees. Mm. Now, mm. I don't think anyone talks about it. And I don't think people really appreciate that. Like even if people don't stay very long with you or they're not the best uh, employees uh, in your team, but still they've chosen to get up at 7 a.m. every day or 8 a.m. every day. They choose to commute to your work. They choose to dedicate the most precious eight to 10 hours of their life mm, mm. during the week to your company yeah. to, to help you realize a dream. Yeah. Yeah. You no, know? I, yeah. I, 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 love, I love how, yeah, I love how you kind of look at it this way. Sometimes I tell 
uh, I, I, I try to tell employers that uh, yes, like not every employee is perfect, but I, I'm trying to help them understand that if you're going to hire someone that is um, like an employable person, right? Meaning that, you know, it, it's not like they don't have a choice. They had a choice, but they're working in your company. Then, then the typical mindset of like, you know, you should kind of slave away for me because I'm paying you a salary should yes. change, yes. right? Because it's not just you giving them something. Yes, you're paying them money, but they're paying you with their time. They, you know, they can work anywhere, but they're choosing to work at your place, you know? So, so there must be that sort of respect and appreciation, right? For the fact that they decided to invest their time working your company, even though I suppose you're the one paying them, right? But they could have earned this money somewhere else. So yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad there are more and more people like kind of seeing it a bit differently, you know? And of course, you know, employees are not perfect. You, you might hire a, a problematic person now and then, but in general, I think the idea is that you know, you should treat them as assets, right? Especially if they're really good people and they have choice, right? They can work anywhere. Uh, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. Like I, I felt that in the beginning of running Amazing Grace. I'm like, hey, I'm paying you, you know? Mm, so mm. of course you should be more appreciative or you should work harder or whatever. But mm. I think over the years, my mindset has changed a bit more and I've become a lot more appreciative of what people bring to you. And, and if you think money can buy time, which it can't, I mean, mm. yes, money can buy time. Actually, I take that back, mm. you know, mm. and, but it's a trade-off mm. uh, yeah. in a lot of the circumstance. And yeah. actually, uh, one thing I've learned is actually time is more precious. Mm. Mm. Yes, yes, absolutely. Right. You yeah. can make more money, you can make more time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and out of curiosity, so why... Why did you start Amazing Grace? Like, what, what's the story there? So you're doing management consulting, you did four years, you know, what was that moment when you said, hey, you know what, I'm going to start my own thing now. And, and this is the thing that I'm going to start. Yeah. Uh, so I knew I wanted to start something about two years into BCG. Mm. And I think it was the exposure to so many different organizations and, 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 and then realizing how important organizational culture and, uh, uh, and, and the way organizations worked and the leadership and how things are done mattered for, for, for the company. And, mm. uh, and, and, and the thing is with every single project we do, it all comes down to the people. Mm. All comes down to the people. And, and you know this so much better than anyone else, right, Derek? You, you, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You could have the best strategy. You could have the most amount of money. You could have, you know, the best products. You can have the, the biggest market share or monopoly or whatever. Mm. Um, but you can't rely on that forever. You need ultimately it, your people mm. um, is your greatest assets. Mm. Uh, I, and I truly believe in that. I, mm. And yeah, so... Something that I felt very convicted by was that I could never change people mm. in um, organizations that I worked with because I didn't have the authority, right? Mm. I, could, I could influence, mm. I guess I can advise, but you often have these big organizations with so much legacy, you know, the, the company management um, is so political. The mm. organization is often so big, often mm. that you can't even hear people's voices anymore. Mm. And um, so I felt very convicted. I was like, well, 
you know, I don't think it's a matter of how much analysis I can do or it's not how many hours I can put in or how beautiful my presentations were, <laughs> you know, or how beautiful my suits were. Um, it's, it's about um, really having the right leadership, organizational mindset and, and, and working with people to make things happen that I felt was the most impactful. Um, mm. So I decided that, hey, if I can't make these changes and I felt like these were the critical things um, to, to get things right, to make a lasting impact, then I'm going to give it a try myself. So mm. in fact, my, my impetus for wanting to start a company came from a very different place. It, it didn't come from um, purely I want to get rich or I had a great product idea wouldn't it be great if I if I turned that product into a, a, a global product I didn't have a product I didn't have um, a wish to get rich um, I mean it'd be great <laughs> you know once I know if there was an opportunity but I think it was a sense of um, that was my moment of truth. That was my values. And that was what I thought was the most impactful thing I can spend my time doing. Mm, mm, mm. So, so, so it's, I suppose it sounds like you had this sort of um, creative kind of personality and, you, you, and, you, and you're thinking, hey, I, I want to come and start something new where I have a bit more freedom and control of, and you know, I'm not just part of this big organization. And, uh, you know, I can build my own stuff, right? And, and try to see where it goes uh, without really chasing money. And it sounds a bit like when I first started war, and people find, people are a bit surprised sometimes, you know, because it's, it's, it's the same when you, when you talk about money. Like, I don't think about the money, not in that way, right? Basically, I, I came out because, hey, I want to do something that I think is interesting to me. I think, you know, I think it would be fun to kind of build this thing that's never existed before. And as I'm building it, then obviously the money is sort of more like feedback, right? Like, oh, if you're doing well, then the money, is, the money comes, but you're not necessarily chasing the money, right? And, 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 you're right? But, but of course, as your company grows, that like financially, it becomes stronger and you see more as like, ah, you know, I'm succeeding. It's like, it's like feedback for achieving something. Um, rather than I, you know, I, I'm doing this because I'm trying to buy a, a BMW or something, you know. So, because I always tell people there are actually lots of ways to make money, actually. And, yes. you know, starting your own business may not necessarily be the easiest way. <laughs> oh, right? man, exactly. You're in so much debt. If the company goes down, you're irresponsible for so many things. Yeah. Um, I, I think what it is, Derek, is that you and I are probably trying to um, create an impact or, or, or live our values through this way. Mm. Mm. Right. And, 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 and it may be that's the change we want to make. Right. Mm. It may not be working in public sector. It may not be working in, in, in an NGO. Um, mm. But this is the, um, the, the form in which we want to make a change. Mm. Mm. By, by almost like, okay, think about this. I've got a small kampong. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I've gathered a small group of people together and I said, right, how should we live together? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, exactly. I think I, think I know what you're, exactly what you're saying because um, even in WAB, a lot of the people currently in more of the senior positions have been with me since the beginning. Right? They were one of my first hires and they kind of grew with the company. And it really did feel a bit like this, like, hey, 
So a group of us kind of got together and said, how should we, how should we do this? Right? How should we you know what kind of environment, what kind of culture do we want here? You know, um, and, and have more control of that. Like you said, like, like a little kampung, right? Like this is us, it's, it's our little playground and we have freedom to make this what we want it to be. You know, uh, we can imagine work the way we want work to be, um, right? Rather than going to an organization with a hundred years of legacy and uh, with rules that already built and you just gotta fit in. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I have to remind myself of that all the time because you know you have all these people giving you advice, and sometimes you 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 you're like, yeah, that's right. I need to make the organization like this, or yes, organizations have always been like this. This is the best practice, and you mm. end up um, self doubting yourself a lot. Mm. You know, you're mm. like, oh, I'm shit. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I don't have this. I didn't do it that way. There was this rule for the percentage of people cost in the company and, I, and I'm different, right? I need to mm. align myself with the best practice. Mm. Um, and sometimes you're like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you know, that's, wait, that, you, you, you created this precisely because you didn't want to be that other organization. Mm. 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 Uh, uh, and and um, uh, out of curiosity, uh, so, when you, so how, how do you get the... Um, why, why Amazing Grace? Why, why this particular business? Yes. Uh, on a different, very different angle, I could say I probably started Amazing Grace um, because I have a love and hate relationship with food. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I've said this anywhere else. Mm. Um, but this is probably the most honest and deepest insightful answer I have for myself. Mm. Mm. I think I grew up um, again with a lot of guilt mm. over food, a lot of uh, sense of, oh, I shouldn't be eating any of this. Or I need to mm. look like this. And, mm. um, and so like eating healthy and having a healthy lifestyle was a, was a double-edged sword. Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen, um, but you, there are some people who are, who, who, who are taking healthy to the, um, to the very extreme levels. Mm. And it's no longer healthy. Mm. You know, you really have to ask yourself, why do I want to eat this? Why do I want to live this way? Is it because I'm so insecure about the way I look and who I am? Um, mm. Or is it generally because this makes me feel good and I really, you know, but sometimes I don't have to eat this all the time and I have no guilt mm. if I don't eat healthy every day. Mm. Um, and I'm definitely not the only person who feels this way. Mm. Mm. I, I could guarantee you half of the world feels this way. Mm. Um, and especially women, mm. um, and I'm sure men do too. Just men don't don't have any way to want to talk about it with, mm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so so you know, I've been on every single diet possible. Right. Um, I've had all these self image issues growing up. Um, could never eat food uh, with just pure bliss and joy. Right, was always feeling guilty. Mm. Um, and yeah, so so I think creating a food company was probably my response. Um, to a deep-seated uh, personal issue and an issue I think a lot of people share, mm. which mm. is why the ethos of Amazing Grace is not punitive eating. <laughs> you know, a lot of people will be like, you know, oh, yes, it's a healthy eating, but it's, it's more than that. It's deeper than that. I'm trying to uh, send and communicate a message that mm. you can eat whatever you want, right? And, mm. and, and of course, I'm going to give you the best food. I'm going to give you the most natural food. Nothing's going to harm you. But you can have some fun 
and and delight eating mm. it. You don't have to feel shit and guilty about yourself mm. Um, mm. as you do that. I don't know if that's a response you you were expecting. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think that's um, uh, that's a very honest response, right? Some, sometimes you know uh, you know people expect uh, this. Uh, big story of like, you know, how you people, you miraculously stumbled upon this thing that made you start yeah. this business. But, you know, and, and I think a lot of honest stories are much simpler than that. Which it's is like what you said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like, hey, I have this issue with food and eating and well, I think it might be a good time to try to solve it, right? Uh, and, but, who, but who decides like, um, I mean, I am a, I'm a big fan of uh, what you guys do. Even when you first launched, we noticed it in the market. Me and my wife, we, you know, we buy it fairly consistently. And I have to say, like, it's really unique. Like, I, I, there's this, um, the feeling I get when I consume, like, your products is, like, it's, it's tasty. It's, like, high quality. Um, but it's not, it doesn't cost us a bomb. And, and it's just that it gives me a very good feeling. I don't know how to describe it. Like, this is, like, really high quality stuff, right? And I feel good eating it. And, but who comes up with the, the is, is, is it the word? I'm not sure the word is recipe or like the flavors, like who does it? Yeah, the, the product development, right? The R&D, right. the recipe. Mm. At mm. first it was me and Ching. So Ching is my business partner. I have two business partners, uh, Ching mm. and Sabrina. I think mm. you've, you've probably, you probably know Sabrina. Mm. Yeah, so both are powerful women mm. who are extremely, um, who, who I feel very grateful for. Mm. And um, at first, I think I, we, we went to the kitchen and Ching had a, a really big industrial oven and she had it for, from, from her previous business. And we're like, I was like, look, it's sitting there. <laughs> what is it? It's not being put to use anyway. All right, I guess we have to use it. You know, mm. like mm. we're talking mm. about food. We're talking about importing food actually from maybe Australia because we're like, oh, so many healthy food in Australia. And then we realized, we looked around and we're like, wait, is this boring or is, or is it just me? Mm. And, and I think I've lived in Malaysia at this point for nearly five years now mm. at that point. And so I was really integrated. I love the food. Uh, I, I, I just, I just thought food was probably the, <laughs> the proudest thing that Malaysians have. Mm. And, and then we were trying to introduce really bland, boring, icky, punitive food to, to people um, from other cultures. And, and, uh, and something about that didn't sit right with me. I think mm. I, uh, in line with being proud of being Asian and being proud of heritage and culture, uh, the Malaysian culture, the Asian culture, I just thought, um, why can't we use uh, local culture, integrate that with natural food um, mm. and, and innovate in mm. a way that people, people, uh, like me would, would and like yourself would, mm. would find really delightful. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it came out of a sense again of a, a sense of like Asian brands can do better. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, and that's still something that I I I, I speak about a lot to my team. I, I tell right. them, look, you're not OEM, you're mm. not cost plus, you know, mm. you're you're not um second rate citizens as as mm. as the world has seen the country mm. and the and the region right you can create a product that is generally world class um, mm. from a design taste um, 
and 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 flavor profile. So I think that's really motivating for me, and that's also really motivating for the people I work with, because we're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we can be excellent as an Asian brand. We have responsibility. Um, therefore, it's a higher purpose. It's a higher purpose to carry the the nation, the culture, and and, and our generation to to be better than um, what people told us we can be. Mm. Mm. And and um and what? How did you meet your business partners? Uh, through common friends at BCG. Right. So BCG okay. was pretty much my only social life um, right. in Malaysia because you work so much that all your friends were really only from your work. Mm. And they had friends that mm. they introduced to me during my time at BCG. And so it was, um, yeah, so I got to know them during that time. And after I, I quit, um, I was talking to different people and those were the connections that uh, I think ended up, uh, I ended up having further conversations and, you know, got more interest and they came on board and they ultimately made things possible. Right. And was it, was it a case of like, you know, you, you came out and said, Hey, I want to start this company, this one and do. And then did you then go in search of like people who might want to do it with you? Was it in that way? Or like did somehow people find out that you want to do this and just, just randomly say, Hey, I want to do it too. You know? So, and the reason I asked this is because, a lot of companies, when you first start, you know, it's very common to have co-founders. And, and um, looking for a co-founder, I suppose, is one of the most important decisions any business can make. It, and there isn't a guidebook either, you know, about how to find this co-founder. And, and I think I saw, I saw this, um, it might be a video I watched, and someone from Y Combinator was talking about this. It said something like, it's sort of like a marriage, and yet you see how most people find co-founders, the way they select co-founders, you know, you, you barely do it through an interview. You just like, hey, you want to start a business? Hey, let's do it. Like, it's the most important relationship to have when starting a business, and yet people find co-founders in such odd ways, right? And, and with very little screening sometimes, you know, it's like, I barely know you, but let's do a business together. So, like, how was, what was it like for you, though, uh, when you found them? Yeah, I, I, I guess I also did very little screening, but I, my screening was um, that they were friends of really close friends of mine, mm. right? So those close friends of mine, I think, would have told me or at yep. least gave given me and they did right they, they did mm -hmm. come to me and they say okay this is why i think this great person's great and this is why i think this person um may not be um the best fit because of xyz and but you decide uh and then you often have like a period to try things off right mm -hmm. and i've done that actually um before amazing grace i was also trying to work on another business idea with another founder and you just try you, you know and after a few weeks it becomes very evident mm. uh, whether it was going to work or not. So I think my advice for people on this route is, yes, it is like a marriage. Unfortunately, you don't have time to date. Yep. <laughs> it's a arranged marriage, okay? It's yep. not love marriage, it's a arranged marriage. Um, so, so just give it a go. You can get divorced. <laughs> I, I love that. Like, uh, that's a good analogy. Like, it's an it's a arranged marriage, not a love marriage. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. But you can get divorced. Just make sure you don't have kids, and yeah, you don't have yeah. all these. You haven't put all this money in. <laughs> uh, yeah. So and um, and when you first came out with the products for Amazing Grace, like was it just the three of you, 
was it like did you just sit down like like experiment with different flavors and what were the you know I mean tell us a story about that and what were the first few products you decided to kind of release yes. Uh, we we wanted to go into healthy snacking, so that was the mm. problem we wanted to solve, right? I think mm. um, we 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 really felt that people who were working working professionals snacked a lot. Um, mm. Maybe not everybody, but definitely women, mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and definitely some men too, right? But generally, mm. you find a, a, a crowd of women around their desks eating mm. eating like chips and chocolate and popcorn mm. and. Mm. Um, and tea tarek and, mm. uh, and, and curry puffs mm. and so yeah so we thought that was the problem we want to solve which is when people get snacky can there be healthier snacks uh, and so we started going well a definition our traditional definition of one healthier snack is nuts nuts and seeds mm. right they're high in good fat and high in protein and kept you full for longer and you will live longer mm. <laughs> if you had a lot more nuts and fruits, uh, sorry, and nuts mm. uh, and seeds. So we, we started coming up with a few flavors because we thought eating bland nuts and seeds was, was boring. Mm. Um, we thought about using some local flavors or ingredients like pandan, coconut, curry, um, and not so local ones, but were popular like mm. chocolate, blueberry, um, oh yeah, gula melaka was one of the things we use as well. Mm. Uh, and then I think Ching was like, well, why don't we just try granola as well? We, mm. you know, since we're doing nut mixes. I saw this recipe for granola. I just make, make one or two flavors. And so we're like, fine, you know, can't, can't block out all our options. We made, I think, a few prototypes, like four or five flavors. We got someone to help us to design a, a, a logo and a sticker very, very quickly. So I think it was like 500 ringgit. Mm. Um, you know, well, I like, just, just get out there. Like we were super impatient. We, we, we thought if we wanted to fail, we better fail fast. Mm. Uh, just go and sell, you know? So mm. we, we booked a weekend market at uh, Bangsa Shopping Center, BSC. Mm. Mm. Uh, you know, baked 800 packets of products for the weekend and, 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 and went to market, mm. literally. Mm. 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 Wow. wow. Yeah. And then at that market, we, 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 we sold out of everything. People gave us really positive feedback. It was my first time doing real life selling. Mm. Uh, again, my parents would have liked fainted if they had seen. <laughs> <laughs> and how long, how many weeks did you sell? How long did you sell the market before it, you know, evolved into something else? Um, a few months. I few think months, we right? did that for at least three, four months. Mm. Yeah. But we, we were fairly like, um, you know, kind of uh, digital. We, we, we immediately set up an e-commerce store because we're like, wait, people need to buy our stuff if we're not at a market. Mm, um, mm. And um, being the consultant, I was like, okay, we need a store. We need to hire mm. our bakers. You know, you mm. and I, we shouldn't be baking anymore. If we're baking mm. all the time, who's going to be doing the selling? Mm. Um, so, so, you know, it was, it was quite a fast progression from mm. market to e-commerce, mm. to setting up our first baking um, center, to hiring mm. our first baker, to mm. hiring, you know, our, our marketing and sales team and, and, and so on and so forth. Mm. Mm. And, and, and in the beginning, so you were mainly selling it through the market and through your like online yes. uh, platform. Right, right, yes. right. right. And, and at what point did you kind of transition to selling it at like 
uh, like stores. So obviously, like I see uh, a lot of the, the grocery places, you know, um, that's when I first noticed Amazing Grace, right? And um, and when what was interesting was, I'm not sure if it's because I shop in the places that you focus, uh, you know, you focus your products on. But when I first noticed Amazing Grace, I suddenly noticed it everywhere. Like <laughs> it wasn't in like that one shop, like, 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 you know, I go to like, uh, well, I, I'm shopping like Bangsa, Monkara areas, but it's almost every grocery place I noticed your product there. Like, it was really fast, right? So, I, I, and I wonder, like, like, how do you get to that moment, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so it wasn't until at least a year into the business when we started going into the shops. Mm. Uh, and that took a lot of convincing. I think um, getting that first foot in the door for any new entrepreneurs is probably the hardest thing ever. Mm. You had no social credibility. Mm. You had no past history. And the supermarkets were, were going to have the risk mm. at giving you some space. Um, I, I think we, 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 we got their notice, we got their attention um, through a lot of these weekend markets because I think people shop and some of these buyers will come around and they'll check things out. Um, and then we had multiple meetings and at each meeting we were rejected. We were like, okay, there's always a different reason, right? Okay, your packaging sucks or your shelf life is too short or, um, you know, we're, we don't like, we don't think this is going to work or timing's mm. not right. Mm. And um, so we got a lot of rejections. You never hear about those stories, but uh, they, mm. these are the backbone right. of every business. Right. And um, eventually we got our first account, which is uh, Ben's Independent Grocer. Mm. Uh, and, and yeah, that was a really great moment. Uh, we got our foot in the door with one of the most, the best supermarket chains in Malaysia. Mm. Uh, and it really consolidated our brand positioning, um, our target market. And from then on, it just got easier. I mean, it wasn't super easy. And to this day, we still can't, you know, enter some of the accounts that we wish we could, um, mm. like a lot of the convenience stores and, and certain pharmacies and stuff like mm. that. But mm. yeah, it, it, like I think each step, each entry helped, uh, um, helped along the way and, and every, every step got easier. Mm -hmm. and, and did you always have this plan like from when from the beginning when the three of you were sitting down designing your products and stuff like that, did you always envision it to be this way like one day we're going to take this into the shops you know uh was that always going to be the game plan uh no we actually wanted to just be online and be subscription right okay <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting yeah and, and, yeah we, we didn't think about the stores very early on. Mm, mm, mm. So you want to do online subscription, but then, but what, at what point do you, do you say that hey, actually this is a better strategy, going to the shops is better? Uh, at the point where I realized how small Malaysia was. Mm, right. Yeah, uh, as a population. Right. <laughs> so you needed to get into the stores to reach more people. That's right. Yes. Right, 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 right. And right, we right, could right. never get enough subscribers to have a significant enough of a business. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, and and for, for someone that's kind of like thinking about starting a business, uh, you know, and, and I'm referring to someone that's maybe graduated recently, you know, because like, you know, entrepreneurship is a big thing now. I think a lot of people mm -hmm. are thinking about it, and especially in, in a year where, Getting a job is 
even harder this year. I'm sure more, more and more people are pondering, should I just try to start my own thing? What are some of the common misconceptions you think about starting a business like Amazing Grace? Yes. So one is my advice is always to work um, before you start a business, right? So I, I don't think a lot of people can do it, right? Fresh out of college or being super, super inexperienced because mm. I think there is value, a huge value in learning about companies, organizations, departments, culture, um, learning from other managers of yours, what to do, what not to do. Uh, and, and because you will be making so many mistakes, as even if you have this knowledge in your own company. Um, I, I, I've never managed anyone before studying Amazing Grace. And mm. even though I've been managed by a lot of people and I've you know, seen my managers and, I've, and I have a lot of feedback for how they do mm. things, when it mm. comes to your own turn, you're going to make so many mistakes. Mm. Um, and, and so I, I would definitely advise on, on at least getting a few years of uh, of. of a good, if you could have five years of work experience, even better, right? Mm. What, what's the rush? Mm. Um, you know, or you can, start, you can have, you can be working and start something on the side if you have a great product idea. Mm. Um, the other misconception I think is fundraising. I think that's a sexy topic everyone wants to talk about. I mm. think you don't need to necessarily get a whole lot of money at first. Mm. And I talk about this quite a lot with Fran from GoGet mm. as well. Mm. And mm. we say, we always talk about the curse of having money. Because mm. <laughs> once you have it, you spend. Yeah, that's right. Right. Or your yeah. investors are like, why are you holding on to this money? You need to spend that to grow. Mm. Uh, mm. So you're less cautious and less, um, I guess, stingy or less hustly when it comes to uh, spending that money in mm. growing your company and you may end up with no money very, very soon. And you mm. don't know what it's like to not have external funding mm. Mm. and live on your own profit and loss. Mm. Mm. So it's yeah. important to bootstrap, right? I think in the, so. for, for some time, right? Before you even think about like raising funds. I think I definitely think so. I think it's important to build a hustling culture for mm. any startups. Mm. Um, and, and the hustling culture stems from having very little resources. Mm. Mm. Right? Yeah. If you have a lot of resources, who's going to hustle? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think your decisions tend to be weaker when you're flushed with resources, right? Because you're you're not you're not you're not building a, a company that's very efficient uh, in many yes. ways, right? Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah. and what's the what's the biggest lesson you learned actually over the years while building the company? Yeah, I think one of my biggest lessons I've learned is um, you really need to find the right motivations to to. To, to, to build your own company and also be aware of how your motivations are changing. Mm. Um, I don't know about yourself, Derek, but my reason for starting a company in the beginning and now has probably changed a lot mm. uh, or has changed somewhat, right? It mm. used to be mm. more like health and feeding people healthy stuff and that's still there, right? But what's sustaining me right now is not just a product. It, mm. It's a lot more than that. 
Mm. Um, and it's the future vision of my whole life that I think I can see better now and not just letting your work and your own company dominate that mm. vision. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you see something bigger than, I suppose, just starting a food company, like what yes. it was in the beginning. Yes, yes. Right, and, right. and I think it's, it, it's healthier if you can um, put the company in a position that is, uh, um, you know, a component of you and a way for you to see your bigger life, but not your entire life. Mm, mm, mm. No, I definitely agree that uh, motivations do change. And I suppose uh, paying attention to that is quite important, right? Being aware of it. Uh, one of the things I, one of the ways I first realized that was, you know, I, I, sometimes I do a lot of writing in the morning and, and, and I ask myself these odd questions and I start writing like, you know, like, what would the answer to this? And, and one of the questions I remember asking myself was like, you know, if you only achieve like three things next year, like what would be the best three things that, you know, that you want to happen. And as I was writing it, I realized that, oh, like my motivation for like studying more is very different now because of like some of these things that I, I prioritize right at the moment is not the same as it would have been a few years ago. Um, yeah, so so I think paying attention to what motivates you is kind of important. Because like you might face, you might get burned out after a while. Maybe if it's not, if it's not aligned, you know. Um, yes. Right? Absolutely. And, and, and therefore, I think you need to be very true to your values. And I think I've, I, I emphasize that a lot because as you're growing your company, many people or organizations will come through your life and try to change things or make you self-doubt or, 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 or waver, make you waver the reason why you did certain things. It could be investors Mm. Um, it could be the current challenge in your organization that you're facing. Um, mm. And you often forget why you started. And then I think a good example is, do you want to, how important is it for the founder to continue to retain control mm. of the company? Mm. Right. And, and at what price would you be willing to sell that for? Mm. And is that something that's even on the books in the first place? Mm. And I don't know if a lot of people think about those questions mm. uh, when they first started the company. Mm. And, mm. And, and, but if you haven't, later on, you should. Mm. And, and, and it, although it gets very exciting, I think, in the beginning when, you know, a potential investor or whatnot is coming to you and going, oh, I want to offer you this, or I, I really like your company. You get all flattered and everything like that, but they may want control. Mm. Um, and at first it just sounds like a corporate te technical jargon. You're like, mm. oh, okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it has real deep implications with your values, mm. Mm. right? And, and I yeah. think that, that these are really deep, important questions for every entrepreneur to ask themselves mm. Mm. yeah and and is there is there any common advice to see out there in terms in regards to entrepreneurship is there any common advice about entrepreneurship that you think most people should ignore but you don't think it's good advice hmm. um what i don't think is good advice yeah but it's um, fairly common like you see people say giving this sort of advice all the time. I think it will still be like 
hey, just just raise funds, you know, mm. or just just spend money to grow your market share, mm. um, or uh, you know, I don't know, work your team to death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, like just go, 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 go. I think that there yeah. isn't time for that. Um, but I, I, I don't think that's going to help really in the long run. Yeah. 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 And, and, um, sort of like the, uh, yeah. So in terms of fundraising, I, I think it's one of the things I do tell people sometimes it, obviously you, you look at companies like Grab and they raise a lot of money and, you know, et cetera, and they're really big and, and it's not, it's not to kind of put people down, but the probability that you'll be a grab, you know, it's probably going to be really low. Like you have to kind of balance out like, hey, what's the likeliest way path I'm going to succeed, right? Are you going to be able to get access to this kind of money? What are the chances? So you have to kind of think of first starting how to build a business before the whole fundraising thing even like kicks in, right? Like the most fundamental things, think about building the business rather than thinking about the fundraising. Yes. And, right? And, and, and if your business is good, then, and a lot of times the, the money comes, right? The investors come when your business is good, they'll start knocking on your door, um, yeah. right? So, so, I mean, I get this, I regularly have friends who remind me, you know, like obviously we are, so what we are platform, we are portal. So we're growing and like raising money is, because we need a certain scale before we really be able to get a profit. And, and there's always a tussle between how much money you raise, we delay raising money and stuff like that. And I always have friends who would kind of pull me back a bit and say like, you know what, just, just, just focus on trying to make the money first. And it's, it's always, it's very good to kind of hear this kind of advice, like focus on your revenue and the revenue solves a lot of problems, right? And then you can think of the fundraising later. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I think what entrepreneurs don't get told enough of is that there is other ways, there is other options of growing your company that's not just about the fundraising route and, and eventually doing the exit. Like everyone's like, oh, what's your exit plan? <laughs> As if you spend so much time, years building up a company and going through the heartache so that you can exit. Mm. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. what, yeah. huh? Like, yeah. you know, that, 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 that doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. why am I doing this so that I can just exit? Right. Yeah. I, and I've, I've definitely encountered companies that help to educate me a little bit on this topic. Like, for example, I don't know if you heard of Huey Jeans. Uh, no, not familiar. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, I, I would dare say it's a Scottish jeans brand right. um, where the founder has this, um, uh, principle to his shareholders on his website so everybody can see and he wrote that to his shareholders and one of the things that he writes is control is important we are never going to give up control of the company mm. right and he's like we're never basically he's saying we're never going to sell out mm. and, and 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 he's also saying like um we're not going to grow unsustainably like we're going to make money uh, or, or he will say, this is the invest things we will invest in, right? Mm. We will never do anything that's not jeans, mm. for example. Mm. So, so that was really uh, quite enlightening, I think, when, when I read that. And I'll send it to you. Um, mm. it, it's, it's, it's a very, um, it's a diff different approach. And right. I think somebody like, I don't know if you've heard of Lush. Lush, yes. I, I know Lush, yeah. Yeah, so Lush, I think, also has one of those, we will never sell out. Um, principles and mm. they also have a valuation cap basically they, they they give all their shares 
to the existing um, management and workers. Um, I think they have some in, uh, some investors as well, but they they don't they, they, they don't go and they don't want to sell off everything, and they cap their valuation at five x of their revenue or, or sorry their profit or something like that. Right, right. So they're basically going. We're not going to sell out. We're not playing this valuation game. Um, you can sell your shares anytime, and this is the valuation. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> oh, that is so interesting. Yeah, and, okay. and, and so even the you know a person who is an employee who has a few shares can always exit, and 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 there's a market for their shares because it's very clear what the valuation is. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, you okay. Know? Oh, um, so I, I think it's a lack of imagination. Mm. In, in my own view of this startup world, and mm. and people's the corporate greed or 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 just encouraging people to just running for that exit um, mm. without emphasizing on the love and the and the and the passion they're dedicating to building a company that's worth it. Because Derek, you know what? If you sell your company, what's the next thing you've got to do? Yeah. Okay, you may go to Bali for six months, but after six months, yeah. what do you got to do? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're gonna start and, another company, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, knowing knowing entrepreneurs, right? That, that's the reason why they started in the first place because exactly. they always want to be building something. Yeah. So so it, it, most people gotta build more companies, and so why not do something great with your current company? Mm, mm. Yeah, and, and it's right? interesting you say that. Yeah. So a lot of like things like um, you know, uh, exits, you know, uh, exit strategy, and like. Even fail fast, like you mentioned, when you first started, like fail fast. I think a lot of it kind of sort of VC talk in some sense because you know they have these certain goals that they want to achieve, right? And and you know and they want to know that when they invest in your company that you fit those goals. Yes. Uh, you have plans that fit their goals, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they they have to turn you over in three to five years, maximum seven yeah. years. It's in their yeah. mandate. You can ask That's them. You right. should ask them. How many years do I have until I have to do my next fundraise? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it is it is a VC dominated. Um, unfortunately, VCs have shaped the ways mm. entrepreneurs think about their company. Mm. Mm. And and I think a good way. So I think good advice to a lot of people thinking of starting a company is uh, obviously the. Um, we're not saying that uh, the VCs are the enemy, but you just need to understand their goals, right? When, when you raise money and stuff like that, you just need, you know, in order to make good decisions, you need to understand what their goals are, what your goals are. And if there are certain things that you can accept and you think that that's fine, uh, I mean, go ahead. As long as you're not doing it blindly. For me, for me that's like the most important thing. If, if you're yeah. thinking exit strategy and you genuinely think you want an exit strategy yourself, then by all means, right? Like, I think that's completely fine. But uh, it's important to realize that, as you said, right, Amy, a lot of the entrepreneurship language has been heavily influenced or shaped by, I suppose, what the VC's goals are, right? So, uh, and, and I'm referring largely to a lot of technology companies, especially right now. So just understanding that is important, I think, to a lot of people. You know, you don't necessarily have to go this route there are lots of different ways to build a company. Yes, you know? and I think it's it's knowing what's what can be done. That it's not just about keep raising money through VCs as your mm. only option. Mm. And and, mm. and and in fact, if that was your your beginning motivation, mm. I do think things will be very hard. Mm. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> because no, you, I, yeah. yeah, you'll be crashed if, if the yeah. next VC refused to invest in you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. And, and, and so Warp, um, as a VC funded company, I also understand like um, uh, there, there is some sort of, there is a way you could probably get a VC excited to invest in your company. But, but at the same time that your, that, that plan might not, might be a huge loss making business. Right. But because like the VC might track certain metrics and say that, Hey, that's a good business. Right. But, uh, but it's a good business to, to a VC, you know, yeah. but it's not a really self-sustaining business. It's not necessarily self-sustaining. So, so just stuff that people should kind of think about. Yeah. Right? I think we all want to be Amazons who yeah. are like, we're not going to make profit for the next 20 years. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. And this is why. Um, but if you want to stick with us, please stick with us. You know, yeah. if you don't yeah. want it, go, you know, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and also, yeah. So it's good that people understand that and make sure if you do raise VC money, uh, it's also good to understand what the VC is like, what, the, what their goals are, you know, uh, and all that. So, so those things are important. And um, I want to ask you a few quick questions about being productive because I imagine you're super busy, Amy. Uh, and so how do you, juggle like the different moving parts of your life like do you have any specific techniques for managing your time um so i'm a lot more chilled five years into amazing grace than i was oh. in the beginning oh uh, lucky you <laughs> yeah like i i i i definitely spend a lot on a lot of my time on health and being in nature um i was just away for about a month i think in in on the island um and and working from an island and and, and you know it you're, was you're just... living the dream <laughs> <laughs> um i have a partner my, my my boyfriend andrew is a big influence in my life and he's mm. always challenging me about the way i live and he's the one that kind of goes well you know are you trading time for money or money for time and mm. if you had a choice um you're never get you're never going to be uh this age again Mm. and the availability of what you can do right now mm. right mm. is mm. very different to you know i think a lot of us go oh we just have to work really hard now and wait until we're 50 and then we can have a life mm. but mate by the time you're 50 you think you're going to take a lot of risks and and uh you know travel the world and hike to some pretty crazy places mm. um, you're not you're not you're right yeah you know you're going to jump on that cruise ship um mm. maybe yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and so I'm, I feel like I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty happy with the way I spend my time. Um, and I'm also challenging myself further to see how I can be even crazier <laughs> mm. with, with the way I live my life. And meaning, you know, could that, you know, we, I really think um, I want to be in nature more. And so how can I make that happen while being the uh, founder of Amazing Grace, right? Mm, mm. I don't necessarily have to be in the city 24 seven. Mm. Um, I think I am dedicating some of my time, a lot of my time on building the next team uh, mm. or the team so that they can be self-sufficient and creative and independent and they mm. can build their team so mm. in fact you know now i'm thinking oh how do i build my team mm. then i have to think about how do i build their team so they can go on holidays <laughs> mm. 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 And, yeah. and 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 have the flexibility so that you know if, if x and y and z 
um, goes somewhere and takes you know two months off. Um, mm. Actually, they have a team that can run things, and and that then has to trickle down. <laughs> mm. Wow, that's a, that's quite a unique goal, uh, but also something that I suppose would inspire people, right? The fact that hey, it's kind of sort of going to be like my business, right? There's something yes. to look forward to. Yes, uh, I think so. So I'm trying this out. I will let you yeah. know how it goes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds also like you have like some pretty good generals running the operations of your company. And I yeah. imagine you focus most of your time on, you know, may, maybe making a few high quality decisions every day. Is that, is that generally what your day is like? Yes, I, I spend, and I ideally like to spend even more of my time on just people. Mm. Mm. Yeah, on just people. And, right. and making sure, you know, we, we have the right team. Uh, we're hiring very, very fast, as mm. you probably know, mm. um, you know, uh, and, and trying to uh, make sure everybody has, you know, building, building the right culture for the company as well. Um, oh, yeah. And that's my other advice for entrepreneurs is you better like people. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. This better be something that you love. Because if you don't love this, it's gonna get very painful, and you will mm. not succeed. I think, mm. or, or you have people, you know, one of your co-founders or your generals are people loving people. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree actually, right? Yeah, and and and, and how um, I think when we first started this conversation, you did talk about people, you know, quite early on, and I really genuinely believe that. Um, you know, your relationship with your team is very important. At the end of the day, they are the ones dedicating their time to build the company for you, right? In some sense, right? So, so you know, you have to, it doesn't, it shouldn't feel like work when you're actually, you know, you know, working together with your team, right? Like being, being with your team and all that. You feel like you're, you're nurturing people that you care about, you want them to grow. And I suppose people can sense that sincerity as well. You know, when you, you in that way, you know, whether whether they're working with you or whether they're working for you, right? It's it, it, people can sense it in the way you handle yourself with them. I think employers have set such a low standard. <laughs> <laughs> That's not hard to be a to be good is it <laughs> it's not hard to do something that's different and and right. generally um that that creates love and appreciation from your team right <laughs> I, I i really think employers have have, have, have really lowered the standard for everyone <laughs> <laughs> well that that's good news for for all of us then <laughs> yes but it's something to constantly work on it there's, there's no stopping yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. And then what's the plan for Amazing Grace? What's, what's the future looking like? Yeah, we're super excited about sharing our philosophy, our products um, and our culture, why we do things with more people. And, and so Malaysia and Singapore are currently our, our key markets at the moment, but we're uh, building the, the building blocks of entering markets like Australia, Philippines, Indonesia, Taiwan. Um, we just started Amazon in the US and probably that will extend to Europe as well. Wow. Um, so so I, I think it's, it, it, again, it doesn't feel like work, like you said, mm. 
it mm. feels like it's it's a very natural progression um, for a company that has spent five years working on perfecting their message, the product, the design, the team. Um, and, and so I feel like now we're just reaping the benefits of our work. Of mm. course, there's a lot more hard work to, to, to come, um, mm. but, but it's, it's, it's just generally a very exciting time. And I think the underlying sense is we're sharing. We, we want to bring something great um, mm. to other parts of the world. Mm. and learn um, in the process because obviously our product will continuously change and become better um, mm. as we get more feedback from mm. these new markets. Um, so yeah, so, so that's really, really something that we're looking, looking forward to. And I'm, I'm currently in the planning stage of like, what does that team structure look like? How can we give more opportunities to our team to go and be more international? Um, and I think that's something that I'm really excited about. Like, isn't that crazy? I'm like, I'm excited about going to Australia because my son, my team can go to Australia mm, mm, mm. <laughs> and yeah. they can get more exposure and they can, yeah. they can learn. Um, so yeah, I think that that's something um, that drives me, right? Creating more opportunities for the rest of the company to get more exposure and learnings and, 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 and development. Um, yeah. and hopefully we can make a lot more money so everyone can get paid more. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, no, I really, I really love the way you think, right. Especially in terms of people I, earlier, like, um, we, we talked about like motivations change for the company and all that. And one of the things like, for example, with me, like how that motivation changed initially was like, Hey, this is an interesting idea. That's how I want to start this business. You know, uh, I want to see what happens. And as the company grew, obviously I started hiring people. And a lot of them have stayed with me through this whole journey. And there were many moments where, you know, we thought, oh, that's it. Like, this is the year that it's, it all ends, you know, uh, and, and we face huge problems. And the only thing on my mind is right, when I look across the office, like, hey, look at all these people that they put their, their time and their effort in here. And I don't really want to fail them. And I really want, in some sense, to give them a good career for being willing to take that bet, you know, with me and I, I tell them this story all the time like sometimes I don't even know why you joined you know when you first met me and we had nothing and 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 they actually said that we probably believed in the dream more than you did that's what they <laughs> they, they would jokingly tell me but I feel that that sense of gratefulness and then wanting to give make sure that they had a good career uh you know is is what drives the, the growth of work today and 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 it sounds to me to some sense that when you say that, hey, if you go to Australia, it means some of your team get to go to Australia. And isn't that nice, right? Like, like they can go get exposed and there's a business purpose. You're not just going there for a holiday. So, but you see them growing and when they're growing, they're happy and they will stay, right? And the business will keep growing. And, and then, you know, it's like everyone, everyone wins and the business becomes like a really good, sustainable business. Um, yeah. Amazing, and I, and I love the way you, you kind of think about uh, these things. Uh, I do have one, um, so I'm going to kind of go into like quick fire questions very quickly, but one last question before I go there. So you have this, um, you said currently like, you know, you have a lot of time um, to kind of, you know, focus on your health and, you know, spend more time doing things outside the business, etc. But if you're making the decision to go regional, uh, isn't that going to like transform your life again? Because I can't imagine, 
you know, being a regional business to be easy, especially in the in the early stages. Yeah, so I, I do think um, it's not about doing nothing. Mm. <laughs> it's about doing things smarter mm. uh, and entrusting um, the team or making sure you've got you build up something that other people can can take on. Mm. Um, and, 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 and therefore, potentially, like you said, offer more opportunities for other people to grow. Mm. Um, I, I like the thought of having um, the opportunity later to travel a little bit, um, especially now we couldn't travel. And so it's like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have business trips in, <laughs> um, to Australia or US or Taiwan and Philippines? Yeah, um, yeah so, so I, I, I think, yeah, you're right. It, it won't be a breeze in the park, no way, mm. right? Mm. Um, I think it would still take a lot of work and sacrifices, but I've, I've, I really felt like um, the last year, especially since COVID, has changed my perspective about life and how precious and how little time we have. And my partner as well, who has like really inspired me to think about time mm. um, and how we spend our time. And, and the beauty of the world that we have and, and therefore such a waste if we just put our head down and doing one thing. And actually, uh, you know, one other reason why I started Amazing Grace is to have extra time, is mm. not to have less time, mm. right? Yeah. So, so that's yeah. a good lesson. Like, hey, you know, people say business owners can be more free. Um, yeah. Do you really see business owners being more free? Um, or is that a myth? Mm, right? mm. And, and, and maybe it's up to people like yourself to demonstrate that by trusting people, by building the team, by, you know, doing the right uh, things with productivity tips and everything and valuing your life mm. uh, differently that actually you can have more time and freedom, um, which is why I don't want to work, go back to corporate and work nine to five again, because that was not the freedom that I wanted. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I know what you mean, like, it's just sort of like you, um, you don't just work for the sake of working, you don't spend that time for the sake of spending that time, like, you know, that, that your time is spent doing meaningful things, and sometimes if that's done, then that's done, right, you don't have to be, like, just working constantly, sometimes blindly, uh, just to feel like you're working, yeah. you know, right, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, so, um, yeah, so, so I'm jumping into like quick fire questions now, just a handful of them. Okay, uh, okay, okay. I'm ready. I'm yeah. ready. You're ready? Okay, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Sometimes it's not so quick fire, but let's see what happens. Uh, first question: Interest. Uh, what are some interesting places in KL that you think people should visit? KL or Malaysia, right? If you, if you can't think of anything in KL, uh, or, or like uh, some cool hangout spots, you think? Okay. Um, I love nature, so I absolutely think for those who. Uh, well, can, can go to Sipadan, you should go to Sipadan. Um, Sipadan because, okay. uh, and especially now there's no foreign tourist. Um, you are probably there by yourself and you're going to see right. some amazing things in the, in, the, in the marine life that you've never seen ever in your life. Um, other than that, I really like, within KL, um, I really like spending time now in um, Kiara Park. Um, I like to run and, 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 and hike there. So that's a really beautiful part of KL as well. Mm. Okay. Um, what object have you purchased in the last 12 months uh, that cost less than a thousand ringgit, but you believe has tremendous positive impact in your life? Oh my God. Uh, I think it would be my, uh, what's that 
banner. It's like this stretching banner. It's like one of these, like it's like it's like a it's like a workout band. I think it's oh like right minutes. right yeah right oh it's, yeah it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you can travel with it. It's super light, but you don't need weights. But you can do strength training. Um, you can work out your total body. Uh, right. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's right, like one of these right. stretchy workout bands. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I had one of those last time, um, I, which I thought I would bring if I go traveling, but I never did. But I know what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> versatile, right? Versatile in yes. all kinds of workouts. Um, next question: Is there a nonfiction book that you've read that you believe everyone should read? Hmm, a nonfiction book. Um, okay, so I'm one of these people people who don't remember names, but there is. I think his name is Viktor Frankl. Uh, Viktor Frankl wrote a book called The Meaning of Life. Okay, I, I, that that also could be wrong, but basically he's a Holocaust um, yeah. survivor, and yeah. he came out. He's also a psychologist, so he mm. actually you know really looks in the science of people's mental states, and he wrote a book um, about why he still finds meaning in life, even mm. though he has witnessed what he has witnessed. Mm. Yes, I, you, you're actually the second person on this show that's oh, recommended okay. this book. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's like the search for the meaning of life. Something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, uh, next question. What's a skill uh, that you have which other people might find surprising, but it's been really useful to you in your life or your career? Oh, I think it will be performing arts. Performing um, arts, okay. So I like to perform. I like to mm. sing, dance, um, mm. public speak, whatever, right? Give me, mm. give me a microphone and I'm there. Mm. Um, I, I think that's really helped in kind of help me socialize, help me, um, uh, you know, get through some awkward moments. Because <laughs> like, if you don't care about, you know, how people see you and you're, you're, you're willing to kind of get out there and, mm. and make fun of yourself, even, you know, don't care. I, I can sing, I can dance. I don't care. Mm. Um, mm. So I think it helps people to not feel so um, that they have to also kind of keep their guard up and they kind of let their yeah. guards down. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. So, so I, I agree. Right. I think sometimes when you say like people like, as you say, do perform uh, performance arts or go to like drama class. One of the, I think the one of the biggest benefits of it is not so much the the techniques that you learn. It's more of like desensitizing yourself to, you know, looking stupid. Like like what other people might feel as looking stupid might just be like I'm performing, right? Like so, it makes people very brave, right? It makes people yes, uh, exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, too seriously, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, next question, what, what scene from a movie or TV show uh, super memorable and impactful to you and why? Okay, uh, so I really liked um, The Pianist. Mm. Um, so I think it was another, oh my God, this is another World War II Holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was a moment when um, the protagonist was playing piano in this uh, war-torn house. And then there was a German military guy who was um, behind the doors, uh, listening to him play the song and um, decided not to uh, arrest him or, uh, you know, persecute him. So mm -hmm. it was like a moment where 
people who are supposed to be enemies, um, had a moment of humanity mm. and uh, connected and it was a very beautiful moment. Yeah. Mm. Um, what's the best piece of career advice you received from a mentor or someone you respect? Hmm. Okay. So don't let the role become your identity. Like you are more than that. Right. Mm. So right now I, I may be the CEO of Amazing Grace or co-founder or whatnot. Right. Um, but that's not you in its entirety and, and don't let that, um, overcome you too much and whether it's build your ego or whether it's making you very um, highly strong or something like that does that make sense like you will have more identities and 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 uh, phases in life later so mm. yeah take it um, as as a as a very um, be grateful for what you have mm. but you know you don't need to say I am this role mm. you are doing this role Mm. Mm. you are not it yeah mm. that's not you it's, it shouldn't overwhelm you yeah mm. cool um who is your role model uh ideally not someone from your family and what behaviors did they have that you see in yourself and what do you wish you had hmm. um this may sound really cliche but i think it's always been um barack obama oh Okay. And did they do the fact that, you know, it happened when you were in the US? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I think, you know, he was minority. He was, uh, you know, uh, African-American. Um, I think he has class in the way he speaks. Mm. He's really humorous. Mm. Uh, when you listen to him, you're just like, wow. You know, yeah. you, you're, you're like trying to listen to every word he's saying. Um, he studied law as well. So he was a lawyer, constitutional lawyer. He was a lecturer. Um, he was a community organizer and he defeated all odds to try to unite, unite a nation and um, make, make changes and um, kind of lift the uh, confidence level of a lot of people, right? Especially people who felt disenfranchised. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I really uh, admire him. I think, you know, if, if he's, he's making the change that I really believe in. Um, so mm. yeah. Mm. Uh, and uh, what do you see any of them in yourself and do you see anything that you wish you had yeah i think i i would love to end up as a politician like or oh, okay. at least have a, a a role in in the public policy development and look i, I would love to be the mayor of melbourne one day <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't need to be president <laughs> i don't need to be the leader of a country i just want to be you know the the small city and, and, and it's because I really love the sense of, you know, town planning, social policy planning. How do we integrate people? How do we integrate communities? How do we plan this place for a better life for future generations? Um, so these are the parts that, you know, the fact that he is a politician and also a policymaker um, that advances his ideals of what it means to be a good person, a good community, a good nation. Um, mm. is things that I really want to do. Mm. Cool. Uh, if you could make a video go viral and this video carried a message oh that was important to you, what message would that be? It would totally be um, about eating disorders 
and, and, and just psychological things about eating. Like I would create a video um, to empower women of all ages to, to, to be confident, to uh, really get rid of all these stupid images that we see in media about standards of beauty, uh, what people, what, what women need to look like, you know, and, and I wouldn't do it just because like, I know Dove did something like that and many companies did something like that. Um, but I, I generally believe that that's one of the most single, most important issues that we are dealing with, you know, which is um, women feeling guilty and, 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 and lack confidence of what, what they can do, um, mm. both because from food and also other mental aspects. Mm -hmm. um, last question. What does the word success mean to you? It means I'm running in the mountain with a dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most unique answer I've ever heard. It means you're running in the mountain with a dog. Does that sort of symbolize like freedom? Freedom and uh, being with, um, I suppose, uh, people or your, your pets or people you love in some sense I, I think it's my definition of success you know mm. like if mm. I can have the freedom like you said to live in um, a beautiful uh, uh, part of the world with mountains and lakes and oceans and rivers and I'm able to take a dog out for a run at any moment in the day um, mm. and, and and be at the peak of a mountain and looking down at the fields and and you know like that's just an incredible feeling and I think that's success for me Nice. Uh, so yeah, uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Amy, for taking the time. Uh, it's almost two hours. This is a really good conversation. Oh my goodness, uh, yeah. that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, uh, Super I, long. I can, I can, uh, I can feel your, your, I suppose that your drive, your energy, in like uh, building amazing grace. Uh, like I said, you know, when, when we talked earlier, like, I really love the products. I think you guys are doing an amazing job. Um, Thank you. And uh, yeah, thanks I'm, for your I'm support. Really, yeah, and right, like really right from day one, when I first noticed it on the store shelves, I was like, hey, what's this? I got it. And, you know, me and my wife, we, we fell in love. Like, we love it. So I think you guys have great taste too, by the way. Thank uh, you. Like everything from the packaging to like how the food tastes, like uh, really awesome. Uh, and we couldn't have made it without Wob. I think oh, yeah. we sourced maybe 80% of our team from Wob. Oh, I'm so happy <laughs> to hear that. <laughs> I so, am so happy hey, we, we depend on each other. Yeah. And yeah. So, and, and I, and I'm glad like the way you're looking at like, you know, the team and how they grow. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I don't think, I think leaders, are, like, as you said, you know, we're all human, we're far from perfect, but if you take a very uh, values driven approach, I think, um, and then you find the right answer, I suppose at the end of the day. So I'm so glad that, you know, you, you obviously hired a lot of people uh, through WAB and, um, uh, and, uh, and also got to hear that the way you look at, you know, building their careers, I think it's very refreshing. Um, and, and I said that, you know, I think it's very difficult to be a good leader. After all, like we're all humans and, you know, we make, we're all human beings, right? We make a lot of mistakes. And as you said, like when you first started this, you never managed anyone before and you kind of had to learn right along the way so but i but with a very like sort of values driven approach uh i think eventually you get the right answer 
right? Uh, so it's good. So I, I hope you guys continue to grow. Right? Thank and you, thank, mutually. Yeah. Feelings mutually. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks again. I hope your your regional goals are fulfilled. Thank you. You too. All right. All right. Thanks, thanks, Derek. It was really fun thanks. talking to you. Yes, Have a good thanks, one. Thanks. You too. Bye. Thanks, Bye. Thank you for listening to the Hello Mentor podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, do hit that subscribe button, whether you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you're trying to have a great career or if you want to succeed in business, um, you will benefit from really, really getting to learn from some of the most inspiring people in Malaysia. And hopefully, you can replicate some of that success yourself. Uh, we have many, many more amazing people joining us soon and we expect to release an episode once every two weeks. So again, do hit that subscribe button to our podcast and you will be notified when the next episode is up. Also, this podcast is supported by WAP the leading professional youth jobs platform in Malaysia. So if you're looking to hire great talent or if you're looking for a new job, do also check us out at wobjobs.com. That's W-O-B-B jobs.com. Thank you again and I look forward to share the next episode with you.